to love the book of Ephesians and have always come back to it throughout my Christian life, especially in ministry, and, and it's such a rich book. And I read it this week, uh, the whole thing, and it took me probably 30 minutes at the most, and that wasn't rushing through it either. That was just slowly reading it. So I want to encourage you to make Ephesians a part of your annual reading of God's Word. This is Ephesians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to go to verse 13. I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does he mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions the earth. Verse 10, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful to be in this place this morning. We thank you for new faces. We thank you for new friends, new brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged by, to uh, build relationships with. We pray for those who aren't with us this morning because of sickness or work or other, other things, Lord, that keep them, keep, keep them from us, Lord. We pray for them. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them this morning, Lord. We pray that their joy would be rooted in Christ Jesus alone. Lord, we, we pray for, um, for churches. Um, we pray, Lord, for First Southern uh, Baptist Church, Lord, and we thank you for what's going on over there. Thank you that Jackson and, and Pastor Dave were on campus this week and got to talk with them a little bit and catch up with them, Lord. We thank you for the ministry there. We thank you uh, for uh, just the, the great faithfulness to your word that is shown there, the model of what it means to be a mature church. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we, uh, Lord, have a, a church to follow, a church to model, the ways that we want to, what we want to be in the future, what we want to aspire to be. Lord, we pray for things in that church at First Southern that are maybe that are weighing the leadership down, things that are, are concerning, things that they are concerned about, about the future, things, Lord, they're hoping, Lord, that you will uh, do, that you will engage, that you will cause to mature. Lord, I pray that you would bring younger families into that church. I pray that you would bring younger, uh, the, the high school right next door, Harrison High School, Lord. I pray that students would, would make their way over and, and be ministered to. They, they would come to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of First Southern. 
Lord, we pray for, for other, other things going on in our church. Lord, we pray for, for issues and, and, and stress and anxiety and, and concerning, concerns, financial issues, marital issues, relational issues, job issues. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we all have endured those different situations. We're maybe in those situations, Lord. And, Lord, the, we, we may not be able to change our circumstance in the, in the, in the meantime, Lord. Lord, that you would give us endurance and strength and, and faith in you, Lord, through those circumstances. Lord, we pray that you would give people endurance. And we pray, Lord, in this church, that you would give us unity and love for one another. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, this is a, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, one of the things I, I uh, want to say as well, if you're new to Redeemer, and, or maybe you've been here for a while and you didn't know this, then I apologize for that. But uh, Ephesians 4.12 is kind of our, it's our church verse, and, and there's a lot in Ephesians 4.12 that we are wanting to aspire to. And we're not there yet by any means. And you'll kind of find out as, as, I, as I teach through this passage and as we learn together through God's word, how, why we want to aspire to this, why this is a vision of ours. And uh, so I wanted just to share that with you. So starting here in verse 1, and before I start with that, I want to just kind of introduce, I was, I was kind of on the Internet this week and, and thinking about unity. This passage is just dripping with the, the theme of unity. And what, how is unity uh, accomplished in the church? Um, and, and we even get uh, a lot of um, um, uh, descriptions of the Trinity in this passage because that is the great model of unity is the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the, the Trinity in the Godhead itself. But in America, we talk about unity all the time. There's a, there's a slogan um, that came from a presidential, presidential candidate in 1952 who lost to Eisenhower, Aldi Stevenson, who ended up being a U.N. ambassador. Uh, he said when he lost to Eisenhower, actually lost twice. Uh, he was a Democrat. Eisenhower obviously was a Republican who became president in 52 and then won re-election in 56. That he, when, he, when he gave his concession, when he lost, he says, there's more that unites us than divides us. You know, and really, like, you think of that, and during, actually during a, a kind of a, a very polarizing presidential election we had in 2016, it's hard to kind of believe that there's more that unites us than divides us. So, you know, people say America is a melting pot, but really it's more like a salad, right? There's just pieces kind of stuck on top of the lettuce, and some of you like some pieces of it, and some of you don't like some pieces of it. We kind of live that way, a sense of like, well, I'm going to stay over here, and you stay over there, and we're not going to touch each other. We're not going to be anywhere near each other, and, and you do your thing, I do my thing. That really is more the American unity. But yet there is, so there was this um, PBS special called American Creed, and it was done by David Kennedy and Condoleezza Rice. And if you don't know who Condoleezza Rice is, she was Secretary of State during President Bush's, uh, W. Bush's um, uh, presidency, and she now is on faculty at Stanford University. And David Kennedy is an historian at Stanford. And they did this documentary, and they wanted to show that there are more that unites us than divides us as Americans. And so they do this, they kind of show these different stories. They show this one story of John Madden, who is the uh, coach of the Cubs, a manager of the Cubs. I'm sorry for you Cardinals fans and to bring up John Madden's name. But John Madden is the Cubs manager. And he came from a, a little town called Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And uh, there was some issues recently, I guess several years ago in Pennsylvania, of an anti-immigration kind of policy amongst a lot of the whites and established residents of this little town. And there was a lot of feuding between Hispanics and between whites. And there was something that happened where they actually established this kind of like, 
kind of this uh, uh, goodwill type center that kind of supported and encouraged unity amongst uh, different residents of different races and these different things. And, and, and we think about unity. Unity is hard, again, to capture in our, co- in our culture today because, again, there's so much division. You, you watch the news. You turn on the news. You read the newspaper. You, you read something on Facebook. It seems like there's a lot of division. And I think we don't have a lot of good models of unity, do we? But this passage is encouraging the church to be unified and, and to follow in its calling of unity so the kind of before I get into that, even like what is the Trinity? Like, like that's just a big idea. That's such a big theological topic. What is the Trinity? And we don't have enough time this morning for me to go into all the different uh, aspects or, or angles or sides of what the Trinity is. But in, in essence, what it is is Father God. God is three persons, but He's one. He's one with the Son. He's one with the Holy Spirit. There's unity. There's a there's a sense of depth. And the oneness in the the God and the and the and the, and the, and the Godhead and, and who God is and His nature that He is one. There's a oneness. There's a, a there's a perfect unity that is expressed through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you can't end there, right? God's not just one. He's diverse, right? The God is diverse. He's Father, Father God who sent the Son. Christ was sent by the Father. Christ came to earth. He was the incarnation of God Himself. Fullness of God was in Christ, but yet He came to earth. He walked. He talked. He died and rose again and was ascended to the right hand of the Father. But also Christ and Father sent the Holy Spirit to, to he was the agent of God's and Christ's redemptive work. And, and he infects, affects what Christ did on the cross on our lives. If you're a Christian here today, you are impacted by the Holy Spirit. You would not be here if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit. So you see that diversity, oneness, but also diversity. And you see the same kind of expressions in the church. The church is one people, but yet there's a diversity that is also expressed in the church. This, even this morning, you have men and women. You have young and old. You have white and black. You have, young, you have different people from different, uh, different geographical places, different uh, vocations. There's a lot of diversity in this room. That makes up one church. So, what, what Paul also gets into here, not only with unity and diversity or what the church is, is also what is your individual role and responsibility in the church? Okay, the church is unified, but what is my responsibility in bringing forth that unity or producing that unity? What is my responsibility as one of the people of the church? What has God called me to do in relationship to the church? Because that's one of the, the issues that Paul wants to get to here. So, Often, as a kind of an issue in the church today, is we neglect to walk in unity, right? There's not a lot of unity in the church. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of segregation. There's a lot of all those dividing terms I could spell out. There's a lot of things that divide us, and either be politics or where we, what income we have, or different other things that divide us. We neglect to walk in unity. We are ignorant of our giftings from Christ. A lot of you don't have any idea that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been gifted by Jesus Christ. This passage tells you that, but yet you actually probably don't believe that. You think, well, I'm not really good at anything. You know, that kind of like false humility, that false modesty, which is really pride. It's a sin. We do not build up the church because we don't 
aren't gifted, we think, or we're not, we don't feel like we have strength in the church. We feel like we, 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 it's not our responsibility to build up the church or to help mature the church. That's the pastor's job. That's the, uh, the, 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 the staff member's job, the deacon's job, the elder's job. It's not my job. I'm just, I'm just a simple laity. I just come here and sit on the pew. That's what my role is. That's not what your role and responsibility is. We lack maturity individually or corporately because we don't build up the church, because we are ignorant of our gifting, because we, don't ne- we neglect to walk in unity. We lack immaturity. As an individual, we lack immaturity, but we also lack immaturity corporately. Churches aren't mature in Christ. We hear preaching of the word constantly, but yet we still remain spiritually immature. And a lot of that is not just your fault. It's all of our faults. Therefore, we fail to be agents of the kingdom. We fail to make impact in the kingdom. We fail to be agents of the kingdom. And so unity is an extremely important topic when it comes to us being agents of the kingdom of God. Like I said, our mission is we exist to live a legacy of faith by loving people and engaging our culture to the glory of God. Our vision is to be the best training ground for kingdom impact. So Paul says in verse 1, I'm I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, of your calling. This calling is a lifestyle. It's not some like simple phone call message. This is a lifestyle that Paul's saying, walk in, in the manner worthy of the new lifestyle you've been given, the new identity you've been given. You are now a follower of Christ. You are now a saint. You're now a, uh, one who is in the family of God. You're a son or daughter of God. Therefore, walk in the manner of that calling. You are no longer simply a person. You're someone who carries the image of Christ. You're the one who reflects the image of Christ. You have been baptized in Christ. You are unified in Christ. Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, keeps on telling us, you are in Christ. You are located in Christ. You resonate in Christ. That is where you dwell, is in Christ. And that should consume your identity, who you are, and walk in the manner worthy of that calling. And that, as people who are believers, who are all in Jesus Christ, that is what unifies us. And when we walk according to that calling, we therefore are unified. Not unified by income level, not unified by geographical location, not unified by color of our skin, but unified by Christ. Hence why when we went to Nepal, we were instantly unified with them because we're all followers of Jesus Christ. That's such a cool feeling if you ever get a chance to do that. And being able to talk and, and get to know someone from a totally different country. Don't even know how you even know their language, but you're unified with them because of Christ. It makes no sense. It's only the gospel that produces that. He, he, Paul says, how are we to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, of your calling, not just Paul's calling, not just the apostles' calling, but the calling of everyone in the church? Do it with humility. Do it with gentleness. Do it with patience. You have to have those things to be unified with your brother and sister in Christ. If you think you're better than them, there's no possible way you can be unified with them. If you, if you are firm, you're too firm, if you're too aggressive, if you have an inability to be gentle and to be compassionate, very difficult to be unified. If you're able to be patient, I love how he says enduring with one another, right? Enduring. Like patience isn't simply like you just need to figure your stuff out and then I'll be unified with you. He says, no, no, I'm enduring with you. It's like a marathon runner who is enduring the, the pain, enduring the tiredness and the, and the distance and, and endures the distance for the sake of the goal. And the goal here is unity. 
He says, doing one's best. Love that. Like striving towards unity, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's this eagerness, this doing one's best, this striving. I know for some of y'all, you're really hard workers. You do your best at work. You do your best at school. Like you're one of those people who just, you study, uh, you study well, you get good grades. There's a sense that you do one's best. That is an American value, right? Do your best. Give 100%, right? That's what basically Paul is saying. Do your best. Strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then after he says all this, he kind of gives this great, um, it's almost like a hymn. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he kind of just mod- he shows this model of what unity looks like in the Trinity. I mean, he, he, brings, he brings up the Spirit, he brings up, the, he brings up Christ or Lord, and he brings up God the Father. And there's this sense that the oneness of the Trinity, the oneness that is experienced by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is something we should also model in the church. This oneness, this unity, this love towards one another, this bond of peace. He says we are one Spirit, this one body he says, and, and, and the church is one body, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He dispels this quite well in, in Ephesians 2. Like, what is the, the oneness of the church? You see Jews and Gentiles now becoming one body, uh, one man, uh, one, uh, one church, one people, breaking down the, the walls of hostility that was present between Jews and Gentiles. If you read the Gospels, if you read the Old Testament, Jews did not like Gentiles. But now because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, there's a oneness that should be experienced and expressed in the church. We pray for that in our churches, right? That there's unity between men and women. There's a lot of uh, conflict uh, between men and women. This, and, and I think some of it is, is definitely needed. Like Men need to realize that they don't have ultimate power when it comes to sex. And, and there's, a sense, there's a sense where uh, we, where men are given the responsibility to care for and love and to sacrifice for women. And that's not expressed enough, even in the church. And, and so there needs to be a oneness. Young and old, there's too many worship wars going on in the church. Well, we don't like young people worship music, and we only like our worship music. That is a sin from the devil of a sense that we can't come to oneness when it, in the music that we sing. We should express oneness in our body. We should express oneness in the hope that we have. And, and, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. The, the, Paul talks about the mystery of the will of God and the plan for the fullness of time is to do what? To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. That is the great hope that God will unite all things under Christ. And in Christ, that Christ would be Lord and King over everything, that he would be king over people's lives, over people's homes, that he would be king over nations and people. That is a good thing. That is a very positive thing. Because when we read about the gospel, Christ is the Son of God, and he is good, and he is perfect, and he is righteous, and he is wise, and we want him to be king. And that is the hope that we have. And we have that hope together. We unify under that one hope. Ephesians 2, 9 through 10. For by the grace you have been saved, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The other great hope is that when all things are in Christ, Christ then for makes us his workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. And basically what this means is, is that you are a trophy of grace. That Christ looks at you like a trophy and says, look at the work that has been done in his or her life. Look at the work that's done in their lives. Your trophies. I was one of those kids who had like tons of trophies on my wall, right? Because I played all these sports and stuff. And I remember, and I, don't, I can't believe none of them dropped off the shelf onto my head when I slept. Because I kept them on these shelves like right above my head when I slept. And I have all these trophies. And I used to kind of like, as a child, kind of, let's see the MVP ones, right? Because you were like, it was individual, right? That wasn't a team award. That was someone individually giving you something and saying you were the best at Something and those were always something they brought a lot of pride and a lot of a lot of uh, well a sense of uh, accomplishment, right? And what the Bible is saying is that you are a trophy on Christ's shelf. He looks at your life and says, "Look what, look what the Holy Spirit has done. Look at the, the, look, the look at you are a a, a a a a product of my work on the cross." The Holy Spirit's work in us and among us. We are temples of God. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2.21, that you've been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're a temple of God. You're a holy place and a holy people. Therefore, unity should be expressed amongst you. He says also you're, there's, we have one Lord. We have one faith, the, the content of our faith, the gospel. We talked about, we read this in the assurance of grace, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the content of the gospel, that we all have broken lives, we all have checkered lives. The degree, it doesn't really matter, right? Some of us are worse than others. None of that matters before God. All that matters is that we are sinners and we, Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. That's all that truly matters. And that because of what Christ did on the cross, that he died and rose again and the sting of death has been conquered. I love that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. Where is your sting death? Where is it? It's gone because Christ has won victory over death. That is the content of our faith. That is the content of what unifies us as one people. We also have all have one baptism. We're identification with Christ. We have baptized, we've been baptized into Christ. It's an expression of our faith. None of us who are Christians can say that you're not in Christ. You can't say I'm not one who identifies with Christ. To be a Christian is to be the one who identifies with Christ. And therefore you are baptized into him and you have been united in him. You've been united in his death and his burial and his resurrection. We share that. We share the same God and Father. He is, God the Father is over all. I mean, He is sovereign over all. And He is the God and Father of all believers. We all call Him Abba Father, Romans 8.15 or Galatians 4.6. 4, 6. We are sons of God whom we call Abba Father. He is our Father. He is sovereign over all. But He also works through us all. There's none of us that God doesn't work through. We all work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but God is working through us. But he's also working in us all and the indwelling spirit of God. The spirit lives within us all. So that is the, is the foundation of our unity is the Trinity itself. And in the Trinity's work in our lives that God sent the Son, God is Father over us, over us all. And the spirit of God is indwelling us all and lives within us all. The church is a, is a, is a reflection of God's nature, right? We say that. 
the people of God are image bearers of God, and therefore his church or his people. We say that a lot all the time. But what that truly means in its essence is that you reflect God's nature. And what is the nature of God? Well, God is one in diverse. He is one in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but also diversity in the role of the Godheads. And therefore, in the church, there should be unity amongst one another, but there also should be diversity. And here's when Paul talks about diversity. Even though we have the same, we're one in Christ, we also are diverse and he says, grace was given, this is in verse 7, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Each of us. Uh, we are all the priesthood of believers, First Peter 2, 9. We are all priests in God's temple. We are all priests. There's not a separation of clergy and laity that I'm more important than you are because I'm a pastor and you're not. I'm sorry. That's not true. And throughout history that has been practiced and it is not right. There is no difference between me and you. And if anything, uh, I, I must serve you and shepherd you. I do not have authority or rule over you. We are all priests, and we've all been given gifts. We've all been given this grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gifts, uh, Christ is is, has all authority. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a, mo- a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is coming from Psalms 68, verse 18. What is this talking about? What does it mean that he ascended on high and led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men? What it's saying is because Christ is the victor, because he has conquered Satan, because he has conquered death, because he has conquered sin, he has won victory. Therefore, he can gift whoever, whomever he wants to give gifts to. And he gives gifts to his children, to his people, to his followers, to those who have believed in him. The gifts of God are salvation, but also power and strength, but also spiritual gifts. These are the spoils of victory. The spoils of Christ's victory over Satan, sin, and death are these gifts. This is significant. This is not some, well, we do a spiritual gift survey, and I was apostle. This is a lot more significant than what a test shows on a piece of paper. It's that Christ Jesus, when he conquered sin, Satan, and death, he bestows gifts on his people, on his church. To help you kind of understand this, and this is not, we don't, they don't practice this anymore, but there used to be a practice during the kind of the 1700s and the uh, 1800s when naval battles became a pretty prominent thing in warfare. Um, there was a prize money to the victor. So basically, if you conquered or you captured a, an, an enemy vessel, you were then given all the money and the treasures that were on that ship. And the way it would be, um, basically, it would go to a prize Law. There's a prize court, and this court would actually bestow the, the treasures to the captain of the ship. And then also the money would then be given to the crew. Now, obviously, the captain of the officers got a lot more money than the crew. Um, but what would happen is, is that the treasures were dispersed amongst all the people on the ship that captured um, this vessel. There's some history of this. Like one of the greatest ones in, in May 31st, 1762, a British ship uh, captured a Spanish frigate. And 65,000, I guess it was 65,000 pounds, which was a lot of money back then, was given to the, uh, to the officers. But each of the crew was given 482 pounds, which would have been like 20 years of work. 
That was a lot of money that was given to the crew because of a capture of a ship. And usually what they would want to do, it was a way to encourage uh, sailors and the naval ships to actually try to conquer other ships. This was done during the American Revolutionary War, where privateers in the American um, Navy were given authority to try to capture British merchant ships and other British ships, so they would be able to take the money of these ships. And there was, uh, we stopped doing this during World War II. This doesn't happen anymore. But there was this practice of conquering and capturing a ship, having victory over something, and then being able to dispel the money of the gifts to the crew. And that's what we have going on. Jesus won capture. He's the one that has won victory. And now he is dispelling the gifts and the spoils of that victory to his believers, to his followers, to his children, to his church. He ascended. He also descended in the lower regions to the earth. He, he came and he lived and he died and he went into the grave and then he rose again and he ascended and he's above all the heavens. Jesus' present ministry and his rule is at the, the, at the right hand of his Father, that he would feel all things. This is what Christ is, is wanting to accomplish, is filling all things, that his sovereign rule would be over all things. That he would be above all, he would be the head of the church, he would fill all things to the giving of gifts to the church. This is the means of his sovereign rule over the church, by giving the gifts. The gifts that we're going to talk about, the source of those are in Christ. And he does these things to fill all things. It's the means of his sovereign rule over the church. The process of all things being put under his feet. He is worthy of all rule and praise. The church is his agent, and the gifts are given to accomplish that goal, that mission. And he gave, what did he give? It says here that he gave the right to give gifts. He has the right. He descended. He was victorious. He has power and majesty. He was given all the kingdoms of the world. He was given all power. Therefore, he has all authority to give gifts to his church. And this is what he gives. He gives apostles. This is verse 11. Prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, so... Just to kind of clear the air here, these aren't offices. This isn't, you shouldn't read into this going, okay, pastor, priest, bishop, deacon, archbishop, pope. That's not how you read this. These are gifts given to, to the church, and each one of us, if you're a believer, has one of these gifts. These are given to each one of us, not to a, a certain uh, minority of us or a certain select few of us, but given to all of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given these gifts. Think of apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. Even though he wasn't a capital A apostle, he was an apostle. He was sent out by the church of Antioch, and he went with Paul to plant churches, to start new work, to start pioneering work. One of my favorite uh, people in history is William Carey and Adoniram Judson, who went off to these unknown locations to start new work. They were pioneers. They were apostles. The other gift is prophets. One who proclaims, he warns everyone, he teaches everyone with all wisdom that they may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. Some of you are really, 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 really good at exposing other people to their own sin. That is a good thing that the church needs. You're one who is a, who's very much aware of our need and dependence on God through prayer. Evangelists. 
Philip was an evangelist, right? He preached the gospel to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. He preached the gospel to the, to the people of Samaria. And he was an evangelist. He communicated the truth of the gospel. A shepherd is a pastor. A teach, uh, is a pastor uh, he's one who shepherds. He comforts. He administrates. The church needs people who comfort one another, who is one who's able to, to speak a word of encouragement and love to someone in need. A teacher is one who is able to teach the content and application of the Bible. Prilus and Aquila taught Apollo in Acts 18. You see that a teacher could be a man or a woman in this passage. Beth Moore is a great teacher of the Bible. Anyone who wants to argue that is crazy. These were given to men and women. And what was it used for? To equip and to prepare the saints. Every saint is involved. This isn't a clergy-laity separation where the priests and the pastors do all the work and the laity just give money. That's not what Paul is showing us. Paul is saying we're all involved in this. We all have to build each other up for the work of ministry to one another. This is so that we can expand the knowledge of God. We expand the, the, uh, the, the kingdom of God amongst the world. God, Christ gives these gifts to believers, and we use them to build up the church, to prepare one another, to train one another for the work of ministry. So every believer functions with the gift given to each that the church will be built up. It will grow, and everyone will contribute so that the church will be built up. For what purpose, though? Like, what is this all going to? Is this just a strategy? Is this just a method of church structure? What is this all leading to? And in verse 13, we get to the end here, where it's all for one goal. It says to, in verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So Paul sets out this vision, this end goal, this direction, this aim of these gifts that Christ gives. It's to bring this sense of fullness of Christ. The aim is Jesus Christ. The aim and direction and the goal of all of these things is Jesus Christ. The way for the church to be like Jesus Christ is each member utilizing their individual gift for the sake of the whole church. That's not just, we think of conformity to the image of Christ. We think of that individually, right? Well, I need to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. But there's a cultural element to this. For you to be conformed individually to the image of Christ, therefore, you must mature in the church. So as a church corporately is conformed to the image of Christ, you individually are conformed to the image of Christ. You cannot be conformed to the image of Christ outside the church. That's what Paul's saying. To obtain to this goal, which is the fullness of Christ, to mature unity of the faith, to full stature of the fullness of Christ, is all universally, corporately in the church. So when the church is unified, when they are together, when they're utilizing their giftings together, when they're equipping one another for the work of the ministry, they actually are reaching fullness of Christ. That is so significant. And so I want, to, I want to end with this, that we, we celebrated the Reformation last year. Right? We did a lot of things. We, we did three sermons on the Reformation. And, and I think the Reformation is fantastic. We are all lovers of the Reformation and the Reformers and Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and the other Reformers. But there's a need to need, we need to recalibrate the way that we do church. And I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like, 
I'm not trying to bring up some new revelation or any of this type of thing, okay? What I'm doing is pointing us right here to Ephesians 4. And this is a great quote from Richard Nyberg. He said, The great Christian revolutions came not by the discovery of something that was not known before, but what happened when someone takes a radically something that was always there, that's always been there. The reformers always, Romans was always there. It wasn't something new. They just went back and discovered what was always there. And we have lost what the church should be about. It shouldn't be great pastors and great uh, personalities and people just come and listen to a personality or to into a charisma. The beauty of the church is the people of the church, gifted by Jesus Christ together, working together, being equipped by one another for the fullness of Jesus Christ. That has to start happening in the church. And it's not happening in most of our churches in Evansville. It's all cult personalities. When the cult personality leaves or gets fired, everyone else leaves. How is that good? How is that right? So if some of you are coming here because of me, like, Stop coming here then, because I am not your Savior, and I am not your Lord, and I'm not very good at this compared to a lot of other people. You might as well listen to Matt Chandler online. He's a far better preacher than I am. Amen? I mean, John Piper is a better preacher than I am. What it means to be a part of the church is the using of each other's giftings to the fullness of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Sounds good. What does that look like? When there's issues amongst people in the church, and we have, there's several issues people have. Financial issues, job issues, marital or relational issues, contentment issues, anxiety or identity issues. What does that look like? How does that work out amongst this idea that we are all gifted by Christ, working and equipping one another for the fullness of Jesus Christ? What that looks like is helping one another to trust in the provisions of God. Some of you are dealing with financial issues. You need one of us to tell you, you need to trust in the provisions of God. That's us working together for the fullness of Christ. When one of us is dealing with marital issues or relational issues, it means equipping one another to show grace and mercy to people in our lives. People have an issue, have a struggle with showing grace and mercy in their lives. And we have to help people to show grace and mercy to people in their lives. When someone of us are dealing with contentment issues, we need to prepare one another to find satisfaction in a world littered with discontentment and wants. So we help you to find satisfaction in Christ alone and not the things of this world. When anxiety or identity issues are an issue, we equip you, we equip each other to find joy in Christ alone as a cure to your anxiety and your fears. That is the church working together to the fullness of Christ. As a collection of saints gifted by Christ Jesus, we come together in unity to obtain to the full measure of Christ individually and corporately. We expose to the world the truth of the Trinity, the fullness through unity and diversity, becoming the best training ground for kingdom impact and finding your place amongst us. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been gifted by Christ Jesus, and it is your role and responsibility to be equipped in those giftings for the fullness of Jesus Christ. That is your responsibility. That is your roles. I'm not going to sugarcoat that in any way. So if you're asking me, how do I get involved in church? This is one of the major ways you get involved in church. It's not just coming to church. It's not just getting money. It's not just singing songs. It's not just going to a small group. It is being equipped in the gifts that you've been given for the fullness of Jesus Christ. I need you to do that. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am dependent on you. This scripture demands that, and it tells me I am dependent on you 
And you are dependent on me, and you're dependent on the person sitting next to you. And if we don't do this, we will not reach the fullness of Christ. And so how do we do that? Number one, we have to know you. There has to be knowledge of you. I cannot determine or we cannot determine what you're gifted in by just you taking a test. There has to be knowledge. I have to sit with you. I have to know you. I have to know your story. I have to know what God's doing in your life to know where God has gifted you. There has to be relationship building. We have to know each other. We have to build relationships with one another to be able to encourage one another in the giftings that we have. We have to then engage we have, to, we have to gauge with one another and meet with one another and, and say, hey, this is what you're gifted in. How can we help you to find opportunities in what you're gifted in? We have to train you. We have to equip you. We have to read books. We have to sit down. And how do I utilize my gifting of evangelism for the sake of building up the church? You have to be trained in that. There are people in this room that are gifted in that way. They know they're gifted because we've talked about it. And their responsibility is to seek out those who are gifted also in this thing and train you to be better at what you are gifted in for the building up of the church for the fullness of Christ. So that then you can lead. So you can be a leader of other people and disciple other people in the giftings that they have. Though therefore, at the end of all this, you can make kingdom intact for Jesus Christ. That's why this is our vision. Be the best training ground for the kingdom impact. And the way that we make that impact is to be unified in Christ, but to also work out our diversity and our gifts um, for the sake of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I praise you for your word. And, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your word challenges us in so many ways. Sure, it would be easy, Lord, to get the best, the best leaders in a room and just do church. And everyone just showed up and followed. But that's not what you modeled. That's not what you commanded. That's not what you called us to, Lord. You called us to be people, Lord, that are equipping one another, building up the church to the fullness of Christ. You've given us all gifts, Lord. This isn't a production. We're not up here producing a show. Um, Lord, we're not here to present a... a, a, um, uh, a business, Lord, for people just to come and take. That we're just, people are just consuming content, Lord. But instead, this is a relationship. This is a family. This is a household. And we have all have responsibilities and roles. And you've provided gifts in those ways, Lord. And it is our responsibility to encourage each other, to build each other up, to utilize our gifts, to help one another, to minister to one another, to grow your church to the fullness of Christ. That's what we're reaching for. That's what we're aspiring towards, Lord. And Lord, for people in this room who don't know what their gifts are, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would, they would stick around, that they would come to, 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 to know us, that we would get to know them, and, we would, and you would expose to them what their gifting is, and you would provide them opportunities, Lord, to work out that gifting, Lord, for the building of your church. Lord, for anyone here who are not believers, uh, this is all very foreign to them. And this idea of gifts and gifts to believers and Jesus being the victor and conquering and Satan and, and sin and death, it's all kind of foreign and, and alien, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would give them clarity, give them understanding. I pray that you would provide opportunities for them to ask questions to me or someone else about what it means to be a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a part of your church? What does it mean to be a temple of God? What does it mean to be one who is who's, who's given gifts by Christ and is utilizing them for the building up of the church? Lord, I pray that you would provide an opportunity to have a discussion about that. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.